Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking with Rabbi Abby Jacobson, Rabbi for Emanuel Synagogue here in the Metro. She's also the current president and longtime board member of the Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma. Rabbi Jacobson originally joined us on the podcast in 2020 to talk about how we can come together in times of division. This is an age-old lesson, and she is back by popular request. We're so happy to have you back again, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you. I'm honored to be back. Thanks for asking me. Yes. So I'd like to start kind of where we left off. Mm -hmm. When we last spoke, you um, were talking about the biggest challenges foundationally in 2020, which was obviously a big year of challenges. Three years later, things regarding the pandemic thankfully have changed, but of course, there are still really heavy and heartbreaking things going on around the world. So I will pose the same question to you this year. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing our community in this time? Uh, facing the Oklahoma community sort of in general, um, I am never excited during election season. It always feels divisive and... Uh, from our conversation in 2020, I think everybody has been feeling that elections have gotten more divisive lately. Um, I remember being taught in school that in one of the earliest um, iterations of Congress, somebody beat another congressman with a stick. And I remember thinking, my God, what is wrong with those people? I'm so glad things like that don't happen now. And um, I, it, it doesn't feel like we've gotten better from that, from that place. And it, um, I think it hurts everybody. And I don't think we're talking enough about the fact that it's hurting everybody, no matter where we are or what we vote, that there seems to be a lot of sort of my team, your team, mm -hmm. a lot of othering people who vote like that can't possibly be my friend because here's why that means they're bad people. And I don't think that's new from the past couple of presidential elections. Um, I don't think it's gotten a whole lot better. But what I think we're not talking about is that no matter what media source you use or what team you're on or what party you vote for everybody's hurting that divisiveness hurts everybody it's not that oh one part of the political spectrum is afraid to go home for thanksgiving mm -hmm. nobody wants to have awkward conversations everybody is afraid of um of being hurt but I'm also hearing people are afraid of being offensive, are afraid of offending someone else, which is actually, I think, a positive thing. I think if we acknowledged more that we're all hurting about this us versus them, who are you voting for kind of thing, I think we'd realize that we have a lot more in common, no matter what team we vote for. But I also think we would be able to hear each other 
when we say things like, I'm afraid of bringing up something that will hurt other people, not just I'm afraid that someone will hurt me. Mm. And I think that's really important too, because, I mean, I think I said this last time we were together, how many of us as parents are sick of the movie Frozen and its soundtrack, but so important in one of the songs, people make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed, and people who are mad and scared and stressed make bad choices and are hurtful and sometimes not safe to be around. And when we can hear each other say, I'm worried about that, I'm scared about that, I'm hurting and here's why, I think we'll find a lot more of us are suffering from the same pain and therefore can probably help a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect that when you asked this question, you also had some other things in mind as well. Um, this has not been a good month for Jews or Muslims or Israelis or Palestinians anywhere, and that's been, um, it's been awful, and to set up myself in the conversation before a small reflection. So, I'm Jewish. I hope that's obvious. <laughs> um, I lived in Israel for three years. I have many good friends in Israel. I have dozens of friends who are either themselves serving in the Israeli Defense Force, that's the Israeli military, as reservists who were called up, or whose children are serving, either because it's their three years of mandatory service and they got unlucky or because they got called up in the reserves. So literally dozens of people I know and love, children whose namings I was at, are serving. Um, I also have a number of Palestinian friends who are either local to Oklahoma or Palestinian friends from Israel, from the Palestinian territories, from Jerusalem, who have lost family in Gaza as collateral damage to Israel's fight with Hamas, um, who have lost homes and livelihood. There are members of my synagogue whose families are serving in the Israel Defense Force, whose families live in Israel and have been displaced as refugees, whose kibbutz has been destroyed, whose... Um, home and family are gone. I unfortunately, a former student of mine was murdered on October 7th. She was at the music festival they talked about in the South, and unfortunately she was murdered. Um, you know, we're all intimately bound up in this tragedy. One of the really distressing things I've seen is that it's being portrayed as an us versus them, that you either support Israel or you support the innocent people of Gaza, and that you can't support both. And that um, 
we in the Oklahoma community have worked really, really hard to keep the Jewish community and the Muslim community working together and loving each other through all sorts of terrible tragedies. And once again, we find ourselves supporting each other through death and pain and loss. And um, in mourning over uh, in mourning over lost loved ones and in terror over missing loved ones. And um, I hate seeing on social media, and oftentimes on the TV news that this is an us versus them. Because I gotta say, anti-Semitism is up something like 400%. Islamophobia is up something like 400%. And I gotta say, in general, we're not attacking each other. This is something that's been simmering under the surface of the rest of the population in general is not Jew on Muslim, Muslim on Jew. That is in general something we're getting from the rest of the community. And we have not been safe from that in Oklahoma. And it makes all of us worried about sending our kids to school and going to the grocery store, not only from personal violence, but from do we want to expose our children to the ugliness that's in the world? It's hard enough to send our kids out. I mean, God, the Jewish and Muslim communities at this time of year, having Thanksgiving behind us, are already starting to talk to our families about the December dilemma, how we keep our kids happy, and how we watch their mental well-being while our friends and neighbors celebrate Christmas in the public schools. And that's hard enough. But the idea that we're going to send them out to be harassed and bullied, to be shunned or silenced or any of those things that, that we as parents can conjure up um, as concerns, you know, that's that's just added to it. And I'm... It's It's been so... I felt so blessed by comparison because I have colleagues in other places who aren't so lucky, who have gotten things much worse than we have. Kanahara, knock on wood. <laughs> but it's still an issue for thousands of Oklahomans, for thousands of people in the OKC metro area. It's still an issue for... Um, it's still an issue for several communities that adds to um that adds to what otherwise ought to be a happy beautiful winter season um that made what we're grateful for on thanksgiving a little challenging you know i don't think a lot of people think about this but for the jewish and muslim communities we all celebrate thanksgiving too it's just my turkey is kosher so I have to order it specially, and I don't serve macaroni and cheese, and my uh, my my family's um, green bean casserole has to be dairy 
be free so we can serve it with a meat meal. Mm -hmm. And our friends and neighbors who are Muslim the same, the turkey has to be halal, and the side dishes are specific to um, the halal diet. But, you know, we're still all celebrating the same American holiday and still going around and saying what we're thankful for. Well, that's not really true. In my family, we have a tradition. My brother always says, let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for. And someone says, I'm thankful we're in a family that doesn't go around the table and say what we're thankful for. So, Gotta keep the sense of humor. I appreciate it. It's a little family joke. But, um, you know, now that we've finished with our celebrations of Thanksgiving, this ought to be a, um, you know, for... for uh, this ought to be a more fun time of year than it has been. Um, and we're still on, we in the Jewish community are still on pins and needles about the return of the hostages, um, which we can't help but can't help but affect our children because so many of the hostages have been children. And um, even with the very hopeful um, release of women and children, both Palestinians released from Israeli prisons and Israelis and foreign nationals who are hostages to Hamas being released. Um, some of those kids are being moved around to other organizations, to other terrorist groups, and are missing. And it's still terrifying. And we can't, you know, we can't shield our children from all of it. Our In our synagogue, we set up our main sanctuary. There were just under 250 hostages taken by Hamas. Our main worship space seats 252 people. So we have one photo on every chair. And we've got one chair that has ribbons in the color of the Palestinian flag with a photo of children who were displaced from their homes as collateral damage in the war on Hamas. And that's our entire congregation. That's our congregation taken hostage. And we go through and take down the photos of those who were returned and those who were unfortunately murdered. But, you know, we can't help but our kids walk up and down and see the photos and the ages of the kids. And I can see my children, you know, they're lingering by... This is a pair of six-year-old twins, and I'm eight. This is a 15-year-old. This is a 10-month-old baby. This is a woman who was kidnapped at eight and a half months pregnant who must by now have an infant somewhere. Um, so that's been, um, that's been really challenging. And from the perspective of just the Jewish community, you know, I'm, I feel like I've said to people, you know, Israel is at war. Now is not the time. There are Hamas attacked and kidnapped. This is not, you know, the time to be to be focusing on on, you know, the new projects we want to do or some of the other happier things. And I think back in my calendar, what was I doing before? Well, we had a month of high holy days. We have a fall holiday season. So we had a month of holidays where we don't get anything done. We just have holidays back to back to back to back. Imagine having two days of Christmas and 10 days later having Easter. We have a very intense 
and then and then Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, right after. We have a very intense set of holidays. The last holiday in our fall holiday season, Simchat Torah, when we're supposed to be rejoicing over the the completion of the book of Deuteronomy and we start right back at the beginning of the Torah with Genesis because you know we're never done with the Torah and the Torah please God is never done with us that's when Hamas attacked so we came into our happiest day of the very end of our fall holiday season and that's when this awful tragedy started so a month before that we were in holidays the two months before that there were bomb threats and swatting against synagogues, not just synagogues. There were also Sikh gurdwaras and black cultural institutions and several media outlets on the basis that the Jews run the media and therefore attacking a local newspaper is like attacking a Jewish institution. We were worried about that. It's. I realized it last night while I was thinking about our conversation today. Oh, yeah. Boy, it's been a long time since that was the only problem we had. Um, and so as, you know, as as parents in the metro area, that's what a lot of us are thinking about right now and how we're um, how we support our kids through um, how we support our kids through it, how we support ourselves through it, how we take care of ourselves when we have this unrelenting cause of stress and anxiety that's hit so many of us so personally um i will say and i know this really brought down the conversation a lot um i would like to say something that nobody seems to know um in the early 1950s there was the suez canal crisis um Britain and France sort of nudged Israel into a mini-war with Egypt over the Suez Canal, basically. Um, and during that time, it was very much a Soviet versus West kind of a fight, sort of Korea-style, Vietnam-style, but over the Suez Canal between Egypt and Israel. And... Um, a former member of my synagogue told me she was an OU student at the time and that she was in her dorm room with a bunch of other Jewish girls late at night listening to the radio because, of course, it's the 1950s. That's where you got your information. They're all listening to the radio about the war, and there's a knock at the door, and there's a big group of Egyptian boys at the door. And a knock on the door late at night. Hey, what's going on? And they came in, and they sat down, and they listened to the radio together, and they cried in each other's arms. Mm -hmm. Not really because they knew each other, but because they all felt the sense of being so far from anyone else who would understand. And your people are being used as puppets. My people are being used as puppets. Everybody we love is dying or even if they're not people we know personally, they're our people and they're dying, where else are we going to find comfort? And they found comfort with each other. And I just think that that is such a beautiful Oklahoma legacy of things that happened here that didn't happen in other places. On October 7th, when Hamas attacked, it was a holiday. 
and traditionally Jews aren't of most denominations don't use our phones on holidays. But when I got back to my phone after the holiday, after being glued to two days of news coverage that I had missed, I went back and the first person who contacted me was my colleague Imam Enchasi, the Palestinian-American imam, senior imam of Oklahoma, of the Islamic Society of Greater Oklahoma City. He was the first person to contact me and to say, this is horrendous. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Mm-hmm. And that is a... And then when he lost, unfortunately, four relatives as collateral damage in Gaza, our congregation got together a um, a Jewish-style condolence food basket and brought it to him for his family, because that's how... Jews express condolences through here. Don't cook a meal. Let us do it for you. So that was a continuation of that legacy that we are so blessed to be part of. I could not imagine going through this somewhere where we couldn't count on our friends and neighbors in the interfaith community. It, it would be unbearable. I appreciate all that you just shared. Um, it was, I'm sure, very difficult for you to go through some of those things, um, as difficult as I'm sure it was for many of us to even receive. Um, I think we sometimes are able to hide behind this um, facade that it's not happening here, but it is, as you mentioned, it touches so many of members of our community. Um, And even if we don't know somebody that it directly affects, we're still parents of children who might be overhearing these things on the radio, through the news, maybe on social media. Absolutely. Social media is full of two things right now. There has been a massive disinformation campaign, not only on the part of Hamas, but directed in a lot of different directions. Social media is full of well-meaning people who are sharing videos of things that aren't true, but also social media is full of raw, uncut, horrific video of war crimes. And I would really, I would extend to you what the FBI has shared with the Jewish and Muslim communities. Don't get your information from social media. Consider everything about Israel, Hamas, Palestine, the Israeli Defense Forces, all of it, to be incorrect if it's on social media. And really only to trust newspapers and major news sources because social media is just full of disinformation. Mm -hmm. I would also say as a parent, we caution our children against being on social media right now at all because well-meaning people are sharing horrific uncut videos of war crimes that have been perpetrated and of raw uncut footage of battle and the aftermath of war and nobody needs to see that and i god forbid you know people are retitling things a, a super important video about israeli hostages that you need to see Nobody needs to see those atrocities. Nobody needs to see 
dead children being taken out of the rubble of a building in Gaza. It's important we know that it's happening, but your children don't need to see it. They do not need to see uh, dead hostages being paraded around, and that's also happening. So please, um, even the most well-meaning of people, can't. nobody needs to be traumatized that way. And we certainly don't need our children traumatized while they're trying to do research or trying to be educated. So there are a lot of great resources out there that are from neutral uh, news sources. There are also excellent sources from the Arab world and from the Israeli world that are doing very good factual news reporting um, without traumatizing people. So I just want to a plug for not allowing our children to try to do research and being accidentally traumatized by what they find. Our kids are watching us. Um, and I know you are especially sympathetic to that because you are leading a congregation. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader in the interfaith community. Um, I know this weight is um, most heavy on, on people like you. And um, we really appreciate you sharing all that you did and um, and really, you know, being vulnerable with us in your own hurt, um, but also reminding us of the humanity we all share. Um, you opened this uh, answer to this question talking about our shared humanity, and I think remembering that is really a powerful point, um, and even opening doors of communication to other interfaith community members. Um, I really appreciate you sharing all that you did. If any of you have listened to our previous conversations with Rabbi Jacobson, you know why talking with people who are different than you or have different opinions than you is very important. We mentioned this um, in the answer of talking with your interfaith colleagues, even though the media would have you oppose each other, the work you're doing in Oklahoma is to unify on your shared humanity. It's so important. Um, I'm wondering in our own families and our own, you know, general conversations, do you have any great icebreakers or practical ways to start conversations with family members, friends, community members that might have different backgrounds or views from your own? Yeah, and absolutely. if you've got any tips too on what are graceful and polite ways to handle conversations when they might go awry. Thank you. Um, from a Jewish perspective, in Jewish tradition, we are pushed to believe that there are many different right answers to most questions. Some of those are situationally right. Which religion is the best one? The one that brings you closest to God and brings you the most comfort. Well, what happens if that's a different answer than someone else? The most Jewish answer is, eh. <laughs> Um, in the Jewish translation of the Ten Commandments, it says, you, Israel, shall have no other gods besides Adonai. doesn't say other gods don't exist. doesn't say other people's religions are invalid. They're just not for us. That makes them... There's a Jewish folk tale. God said to Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. Each of those represents a guardian angel that I, God, have set over one of the religions of the world. Mm. Well, if God thinks enough to put a guardian angel 
over every religion in the world, who am I to argue? So from our perspective, there are many right answers. Some of those right answers are not right for me. Some of those right answers make me feel uncomfortable and make me feel really, really happy to be where I am. But coming into a conversation, believing that the other person is probably fine, even if your knee-jerk reaction is not to believe that, Mm -hmm. can help a lot. Because then they don't feel judged. Because you might have a... You might have a family member who's an activist on a subject you care about, but on the opposite side. Or who has left your faith. Or is of a different faith, or married someone else, and now you've got an in-law who's of a different faith. Or, God forbid, they vote differently than you. Or they homeschool their kids, they send their kids to public school, their kids go to private school. They're anti-abortion. They're pro-choice. They're from Oklahoma. They're not from Oklahoma. They're rooters for the wrong football team. Um, I had someone call me once and try to convince me that the earth was flat. And we had a conversation which was based on science, physics, that sort of thing. And after a while, I shut up and just listened. And at the end of the conversation, I said, thank you very much. I don't get to have conversations with flat earthers, ever. This was a really interesting conversation. Thank you. I had never had that conversation before. And I value it. Not because I agree. Not because I think any of the scientific information that he gave me was accurate, but because it was a unique experience to learn about somebody different than me. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of our time watching TV, listening to podcasts, doing research on the internet, reading to learn about people who are different than us. So if we start a conversation, we just ask a couple of open-ended questions. Tell me about that. I'm interested. Particularly if you sound interested and not judgmental. And I know that's really hard because people just assume I'm judgmental because I'm a clergy person. And also I'm like, I I have a deep voice and I'm very dour and all of that. And um, so people just assume that when I ask them questions, I'm judging them. I'm really not trying to. Um, When we can figure out how to say things like, you know, I've never met a person like you before. I'd love to hear more about your experiences. Or, I noticed you said this was really important to you. Tell me about that. When did it start becoming important to you? What about it is motivating to you? How does it help you feel better? Um, What comfort does it give? What sense of community do you feel? Is there a sense of belonging with other people? They're all open-ended questions, and the thing is, Listening to somebody with a different point of view may very well reinforce the point of view you already have. Mm -hmm. I think many of us are afraid that if we, or God forbid, our children, hear a different point of view, 
that they might be tempted away. In our community, we get that about Christmas a lot. Like, if my children are exposed to Christmas too often, they'll be, like, lured away by the flashy tree and all the presents. So on the opposite side of that, I've heard Christian parents say, well, Hanukkah is eight nights of presents with lights and fancy food. We're all worried that our children are going to end up rooting for the wrong football team. Like, <laughs> I think we're all concerned that our children might be swayed by something flashy, but there are kids. They're more resilient than that. Mm-hmm. They, We have to be raising a generation of critical thinkers mm-hmm. because they have the collected opinions of humanity in their pocket from the time they're in third grade. We have to make them critical thinkers. And it's not because they're going to sit down and go, hmm, logically, here's why Hanukkah's terrible. But rather, hey, it's cool that people in the world celebrate this holiday. I don't need to celebrate it, but it's cool that someone does. Maybe it's cool that I have a neighbor who invites my kids over to help decorate their Christmas tree, and we invite them over to light our Hanukkah. That's cool. That's an interesting experience. And that's a really lovely way of building community. It doesn't mean we're going to lose our children to those points of view. It doesn't mean we're going to lose them. And we're not going to lose ourselves either. But how many um, how many people were sitting in a corner of a Thanksgiving table feeling like everyone disagreed with them mm. and they were alone and maybe feeling alone people make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed maybe feeling alone might have made them snappish or quiet or kind of insulting or brooding or make them not want to be around um but someone, even someone who just says, like, oh, so you're a vegan. Tell me about that. Not, so you're a vegan. When are you going to eat chicken again? Why don't you eat turkey? How dare you not eat my macaroni and cheese? Aren't my yams good enough for you? They're made of plants. It's the gelatin in the marshmallows, folks who have vegan family. Marshmallows have gelatin in them, which is made of animal bones. Uh, nobody knows that unless they have to. But if you engage with someone, and maybe you engage with them by not talking about how they're different at all, maybe you engage with them by talking about something you can all love, and maybe you engage with them by just asking them open-ended questions. Um, I was taught the elephant and the rider, and that the elephant is your emotional and instinctive behavior and that the rider is your intellectual rational brain but you have to realize that the elephant is a lot bigger and a lot more destructive and that when somebody's elephant is out you can't get anything done Mm -hmm. and so when someone is feeling that triggered or that attacked or that out of control there's there's no reason you just have to shut the conversation down and deflect and move on to pie or a walk or something else because it's not going to be 
there's not going to be anything productive done when we're angry and our, our elephants are out. But when we can keep them in check, when we have open-ended questions, when we can be genuinely interested in other people, then we can start seeing commonality, seeing shared values. There's this really amazing... Um, uh, what's his name? Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, the moral foundations theory. That's like everybody's moral compass is put together out of basically six components, six different facets of morality, and that everybody prioritizes them differently. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to have a conversation with someone where they're yelling about one moral foundation and you're yelling about a different one. So, like, if it's really important to you that your children be obedient and respect authority, and it's really important to someone else that your children be treated fairly equally, equal or fair, you're having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. It's as stupid as yelling about whether you're a Thunder fan or a Sooner fan. You're on a different field. Mm -hmm. You have a different shape ball. The rules are different. It's a dumb argument. It's it's a it's an argument that's not going to take you anywhere. But so many people get stuck yelling at each other mm -hmm. about two things where they're just talking across purposes. They're yelling and they're not actually debating. And so being able to recognize if somebody is really angry maybe they're really angry because they're frustrated that they keep yelling football and you keep yelling basketball well i know for i know sometimes we have to make that choice we can only buy tickets to one thing or both games are on at the same time or our kids can only play one sport because they overlap seasons but for the most part we shouldn't be yelling about Sooners versus Thunder. They're not playing each other. But when we can stop and step back and say, hey, you seem to be really concerned about fairness, or you seem to be really concerned about the about sacredness or sanctity, or you seem to be really concerned about um about respect and i'm really concerned about equality or i'm really concerned about um you know we're we're talking about two different things at the same time we can then we can step back and we can say you know i recognize that you care deeply about this issue because you care deeply about how people feel mm -hmm. and whether people are feeling safe and healthy. And I, I, I appreciate that. I, I respect that. And I feel really strongly about being a good steward for the government's money, about good stewardship for, for finances. And that's really important to me because of all those hardworking Americans who have to pay into that fund. And you're really concerned about the health and well-being of individuals because our community needs to be healthy and mm -hmm. and I can respect that even when I don't agree with your outcome 
and you don't agree with mine, now suddenly you're a rational, reasonable human being who does things that I respect, and I am the same way. Mm. And that's back when we start hearing stories about Republicans and Democrats who've worked forever in the Senate together, and they really love and respect each other. Um, in Israel, the stereotype is your best friend is in a political party that's as far from yours as possible, mm -hmm. and the people in your party are your direct competition, so you hate them. <laughs> um, you know, when we talk about Supreme Court justices who never agree on anything but really loved and respected each other as human beings because mm -hmm. they had respect for the person's process even if they didn't respect or agree with the person's position, they could still say, you're a good person. I just don't agree with you, which is the same thing we ultimately have to get to when someone's a cowboy fan and someone's a Sooner fan. And then we ultimately have to say, we both love the same sport or the folks in the corner who are like, stop talking about football. You make my head hurt. I'm done with you. Great. You don't like football. I don't like football and we're all fine. Right. Whatever that turns out to be, when we take it, we, we take the whole picture and we turn it sideways and then we can see where our similarities are. And suddenly we might be the two people at the table at the Thanksgiving table who care the most about politics, even though we completely disagree with each other and we can bond over our love of politics. Even when we completely disagree or we might be whatever other commonality that is when we're not when we're not talking without listening we have to listen and when we're being curious about other people when we're making sure that our elephant is in check and that nobody's elephant is rampaging mm -hmm. in a pain-filled emotional roller coaster and when we understand what the when we understand the that everyone around us is also trying to think morally, rationally, for the good of people, we can really bridge a lot of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. I will admit, I've been to many gatherings, be they interfaith or family-related, where someone says something, and my hackles go up. Because I have a stereotype in my mind of who that person is and what they're saying. And sometimes I'm spot on accurate with my stereotype. But they're still a human being. Mm -hmm. And they said something that they usually say in a group of people who agree with them. And I'm a person who disagrees. Sometimes I make the choice to shut up. God knows... Not everyone in the world needs to hear my opinion about everything. And if everybody believed that, the temperature of the internet would cool down about five degrees. <laughs> we don't need to give our opinions on quite everything. But also, I have to check myself. Did I hear what they're trying to tell me? Someone throws in a political slogan, or they make mention of a, 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 a Senate bill they're thinking of, or they 
um, bring up a celebrity who's got strong opinions or um, they use language that's not exactly the language I would use. And I have to remember, am I hearing what they're trying to tell me? Did I hear what they're actually saying? Or did I focus on the fact that they gave an opinion as they went by? And do I have to stop and give an opinion on their opinion? Or am I really listening to them? And we all have to pick those battles. Sometimes I choose to engage. And I want to stop someone and I want to say, you know, with all due respect, I'd like to disagree with you respectfully on a particular issue or a particular word choice or, or a um, an assessment of something. Um, I'm also fully aware when I've been that person to someone else, when someone I, – I had an occasion where someone who is – a person I see professionally a couple times a year solicited my opinion about the upcoming presidential election, and I gave an honest opinion, and I absolutely realized I was that person who was saying things that got their hackles up, mm -hmm. that they did not appreciate, that they were not liking, and I chose to rein in what I had to say but to res express myself honestly, respectfully, but honestly, to say, I think you have a stereotype that because I'm a religious Jewish person and you're a religious Christian person, that we necessarily agree on this one point. And I want to respectfully cue you into the idea that this is another viewpoint held by religious Jewish people, and that I respect the opinion you hold, and that it is not the majority opinion among religious Jewish people, and here's why. Um, not because I thought I was going to change the person's opinion or change the person's mind. In that moment, I felt it necessary to answer the person's question honestly so that they had an honest assessment of what they were saying. But, um, yeah, ask a lot of questions, listen more than you talk, yeah. pick your battles. And the, one of my favorite web comics from XKCD, which is an online a web comic, somebody's typing away furiously, hey, you're late for dinner. Wait, hush, somebody's wrong on the internet. Type, 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 type. Like, oh no, someone's wrong on the internet. Let us not become those people. It's not worth it. Absolutely. It's not worth our lives. Yes. And oh my gosh, so many, every time I talk to you, so many things of what you just said could be pulled out. Um, I love how you started the answer to this conversation um, coming from curiosity. That is such a powerful point. Um, and coming from curiosity doesn't need to delude our views. It only shapes, and like you said, sometimes solidifies our views, but at least gives us a broader sense of where our neighbor is coming from. Um, and that's not a bad thing. You talked about with our kids, you know, do different 
opinions, celebrations, um, religions delude their own views. I think that is a subconscious fear of many of us, especially parents. Um, but again, using it as education and conversation points, always coming from that curiosity. I just love how you brought that up. And then finally, I love, so as you're talking, you know, talking through some of these conversations you've had with other people, I couldn't help but be reminded I, I have two littles at home and I'm constantly studying, you know, different parenting techniques. And of course, gentle parenting is a really um, talked about technique right now. One of the main things in gentle parenting is validating the emotion, but holding your boundary. And mm -hmm. I feel like every time I'm learning how to parent my children, I'm learning how to become a better person in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> and even though what you're talking about is way, way more complex than that, it's those basis rules of really just making sure that you are being, you know, leave the cliche that you leave people with an impression of how they feel, how you made them feel rather than what yeah. you said. Um, and I think that that is so important. And I love that you mentioned a lot of those things. I hope you don't mind me interjecting. It was just reminding me as oh, absolutely. those points. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing. Yeah, thank you. I, I think we might both be of the right generation. Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> back when that was popular when we were younger <laughs> yes no it is so true because a lot of those very basic points we forget as we get older or they don't seem as relevant or they because they're so complex that it doesn't apply um and it isn't new territory we need just need to go back to basics look i i if if i could share an anecdote absolutely obviously keep it in or don't but um when hamas attacked israel um, a day later, uh, one of my children got a text message from a friend, and it went very poorly for a while. Mm. It was full of internet conspiracy theories and disinformation mm. and lack of empathy. And, you know... Our, our child asked for some help, you know, how can I have, how can I explain this to a friend without losing this friend? Because I don't want to lose this friend over what might be an anti-Semitic microaggression or a misunderstanding of something they've read on the internet. We helped with some facts for a while, and that eventually did help. But at the end of the conversation, my ch child went gen alpha and said i would like to have this conversation in a couple of weeks face to face when i'm not so triggered by world events oh my goodness and the person came back to continue the conversation and my child said you are not respecting the boundary that i set I am triggered by world events and not in a good headspace to have this conversation. I want you to respect my boundaries. I do not consent to further conversation and you need to respect that. And I sat there listening to my child go Gen Alpha on this friend. And I was never prouder. 
Because this other Gen Alpha child responded by saying, I appreciate your calling me out and then calling me back in. I will respect your boundaries. I'm sorry that you're triggered. Do you need any emotional support from me? I will continue this conversation with you when you consent to continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, I repeated to my older relatives because I was so dang proud. And my Gen X and Boomer relatives were all just, I don't understand any word of that conversation. What the heck just happened? Why didn't she say this, that, and the other? I was like, I gotta respect it. It may not be my language, mm -hmm. but by God, it was effective, respectful communication mm -hmm. in a in a in a Sesame Street respectful way. Not in a not in a little kid way, but by God, every puppet was listening in that conversation, and they all came out friends. And you know what? They're stronger friends now than they were before. They mm -hmm. worked it out, mm -hmm. not to change each other's opinions, mm -hmm. to correct a little bit of. Of, of stereotyping and a little bit of internet disinformation but by god they worked it out in their language and it was the same playground management that we've been teaching all along and that they taught all along and they got our kids got together and they figured it out mm -hmm. and i have never been prouder <laughs> And that's what we all want for our kids. It's hard for us to model that at all times. And then when you see your kids repeat something, as you just shared, you say, okay, I'm, I'm doing something right, or there's room for improvement or whatever it is. But when we come from it, from the um, perspective of education and trying to help our kids be better than we have been, I think that is just beautiful. I, I so appreciate you sharing that. That's our goals for sure. <laughs> Um, Rabbi Jacobson, there are so many more questions that I would love to ask you, which just shows we need to have a part three on the podcast. I'm sure we will have you back. Um, I am so appreciative of how much you've shared, um, from the points of helpfulness in parenting and, um, and also dealing with difficult conversations but also from the very hurtful and um, horrific events that are going on that I'm sure are just very, very vulnerable for you to talk about right now. I appreciate you being so open to talking through some of those things. Um, it's very hard. We are sending all of our love and our prayers and our, um, from the depth of our parent hearts that these families can be healed. Um, so I, again, appreciate you sharing all of that you did. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with as we talk about and think about um, and try to teach our kids to have powerful and impactful and peaceful conversations? Thanks, I appreciate that. Um... One of the beautiful things about children is because they haven't learned all the social niceties yet, sometimes they make surprising and interesting discoveries through conversation because they're willing to walk up to a disabled person and say, are you real? Mm 
Can I can I touch your chair? Why do you have a dog? Or to someone who's religious, why do you have that on your head? What does that mean? You look different than my daddy does. Why is that? Or are you from here? Do you, do you speak my language? Do you have birthdays? Do you, you know, all those things, I think they're, they're innocent, loving, flat out curiosity that I think should be encouraged. I think um, many of us don't have all of the opportunities for our children to be in a diverse environment that we would like, and we have to like cultivate those really carefully to make sure that our kids know people who are different than they are. For some of us, it's easy. My life is an interfaith conversation. My kids' lives are interfaith conversations. Not everybody is lucky enough mm -hmm. to have that kind of diversity. And it's something as parents we have to seek out if we want it for our kids. Um, I also think that when our kids see us modeling that kind of curiosity and that kind of adventurous spirit they pick up on why it's great mm -hmm. and there's a humility that's required in learning if we believe we know everything we need to know we lack humility to let in new information and if we want our kids to learn from us I believe we have to model that kind of humility because we're asking it of them. Mm -hmm. And so when they can see us doing it, they pick it up as something that's expected of them, whether we tell it to them or not. And finally, I realize my metaphor will date me as a pre-pandemic adult. I use the metaphor a lot of blowing out the candles on someone else's birthday cake. <laughs> that we can be invited to the party and we can get party favors. But we can't blow out the candles on their cake. And the remembering that other people need space and other people need us to be quiet for a while or to be silently cheering them on on the sidelines while they do their thing and while they take center stage for a while doesn't take away from our humanity. It's just their time to blow out the candles on the birthday cake, and we'll have a turn too. Whatever the post-pandemic metaphor is, and honest to God, I don't understand why we used to let children blow on cake and then eat it. But you know what? <laughs> Whatever that metaphor is now... I talk to my kids a lot about not blowing out the candles on someone else's birthday cake. And it's a metaphor that helps me try to remember this is their time to blow out the candles. And the best I can do is sit and watch and, and cheer them on while they do it. And if we do that, then I think people will feel more respected and will feel like their position has a little bit of elbow room and you know 
we could all use that. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. I so appreciate everything you've shared today. I know I speak for our listeners when I say that as well. And for those of you listening, find out more about Rabbi Abby Jacobson's work or the work of the Interfaith Alliance. You can visit www.tiaok.org. Thank Thank you you. so much. And join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. Thanks, Kirsten.